our way out. Well, church, uh, that is one of the sweet things that uh, we get to do in ministry is to have conversations with new people that are part of our church family. Um, each one of them is special, just as each one of you are special. And one of the things I want to acknowledge this morning, too, is that while we're worshiping here right now, uh, people have often asked, are people actually watching us uh, live and online? You'll hear us reference people that are online. And uh, for those of you that are watching, you're saying, yes, there are people watching. We have on a, any given Sunday right now, um, 40 to, to 60 members of our church family, I should say 40 to 60 families watching at any given time on a Sunday morning. So, so when you look at who's here, um, there are more that are watching online that aren't able to, to be with us. So we want to recognize you, and we, we love you, and we know that you are with us. That doesn't include those that then watch um, later, but uh, I'm not just speaking to you, but I'm speaking to our family members in our church who aren't able to be here today as well. One of the things that we begin every January with as a church at the start of the new year is we take a step back and we kind of lay a foundation for what we believe that God calls us to be as a church. What's the mission that he's given to us? Are we clear on our purpose and the direction of a church? And so you heard the Bible verse that we're having this month. You know, each month of this year, we're going to have a Bible verse that we're going to memorize as a church. Each one of those verses is designed to help us remember the calling that God has upon our lives and, and ultimately how he equips and enables us to fulfill the mission that he's given to us. So, so you know the verse for this week, um, or for this month, it, it's found in the book of Matthew. It's Matthew uh, 28, 19 through 20. Jesus said to them what? He said to them, go therefore and make disciples of some of the nations, um, sometimes baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and sometimes teaching. Is that what it says? No. Go therefore and make disciples of how many nations? All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then the great promise, for I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We believe as a church that that was not just a commission given to the first disciples, but to us as well. The question for us continually, though, is, Lord, how do we live that out? How do we live that out? Um, one of the ways that we live that out, one of the visions for, for our church this year, is to be a people who are committed to spiritual growth. Do you remember me talking about that a few weeks ago? We want to be a church that is committed to growing spiritually, looking more like Jesus, knowing more of Jesus a year from now than we do today. To, to ultimately be followers of Jesus, we have to know him, and we have to live out who, who he calls us to be. And so this year, one of the things that we're focusing on is growing spiritually, and we talked about the importance of God's word in helping us to grow spiritually. But over these first four weeks of January, we're also talking about another component of what is necessary for us in our spiritual growth. And I want to begin this morning by doing just a really quick survey of the early church. You see, Romans chapter 15, verse 4. If you don't have this circled in your Bible or underlined, it's a great passage to come to. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. I want to just read it for you. Because as we ask the question, Lord, how do we fulfill the mission that you've given to us? Listen to what Paul said to the church in Rome. He said, for whatever was written... In former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope the Word of God and what is written in here 
The word of God and what is said about the people in here was written for our instruction. And so if we as a church want to have an understanding of, of how we fulfill the mission that God has given to us, what's essential for that, one of the places that we go is the word of God. And one of the places that we go to see how the church understood how it fulfilled its mission is the book of Acts. And when you go to the book of Acts, you find something quite amazing. There is something that the early church does over and over again. In chapter 1, as the early church is waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon them, because Jesus said, after he gave them the Great Commission, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then go and make disciples. Acts 1.14 tells us that they were devoting themselves to prayer. When the church realized that God had designed for them to find a replacement for Judas Iscariot, who had betrayed Jesus, the early church gathered together, and they prayed, asking God for wisdom for who would replace Judas. Later on, after the Holy Spirit came upon them, and over 3,000 people got saved, they gathered together, it says, and one of their most common practices when they gathered together was, guess what? Prayer, Acts 2, 42. When Peter and John were confronted by oppositions and threats for preaching the gospel, Acts 4.29 says that they prayed so that they would continue to speak boldly. When the practical demands of the growing church became too much, those first disciples dedicated individuals to be deacons to help relieve them of those practical outworkings of church life so that they may devote themselves to the teaching of the word and guess what else? Prayer. When Herod killed James and he focused then upon killing Peter and the church knew that it was coming, they prayed and God <clears throat> delivered Peter. When Saul got saved and became Paul, and then he and Barnabas were to go out proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles. Acts 13 tells us that they prayed to commission Paul and Barnabas. You can keep going throughout the book of Acts, and there is one thing that you see the church, the early church doing over and over and over again. Something that they felt was absolutely essential for them in order to fulfill the mission of being and making disciples, and that was prayer. The early church saw prayer as essential if the church was to fulfill its mission of being and making disciples. And so for these four weeks here in January, we are looking at the topic of prayer as a church. And one of the reasons why we're doing it is because when we look at the example of the early church, when we look for instructions from God's word on what it means to be and make disciples, one of the things that's so evident to us is that the early church, which had the same mission as we have, saw prayer as essential to fulfilling its mission. And my question is this. Are we any different than them? Do we not have the same mission? Are we more gifted than them? Are we more knowledgeable than them? Is prayer that was something that was only necessary for those first believers? I hope that we would never be so proud as to, to say, yeah, I, I see why they needed it, but, but is it really that essential? I remember the first time I ever went to go play paintball. Have you ever done that? Don't. Uh, anyways... <laughs> 
we were young, I was probably in middle school, and we were excited about the opportunity to play paintball. And before when we played paintball, I talked to anybody and everybody that I had ever known who had played paintball, and I asked them the question, okay, does it hurt, <laughs> right? You tell me, if a projectile is coming at you at, you know, like 90 miles an hour, is it going to hurt? Yes, it's going to hurt. And so, though, over and over again, I heard people come to me and say, yeah, but, so just layer up. Wear lots of layers and it won't hurt as bad. I remember a buddy who will remain nameless was like, it doesn't hurt that bad. I don't, I don't really need to, to, layer, to layer up. And sure enough, he comes like with a t-shirt and sweatpants on to come play paintball. And, and I'm like, I got my hockey gear on, for goodness sakes. I'm just like, I don't want to get hurt by a paintball. And see, everybody who I knew who had gone before me said, listen, if you don't want to get hurt by the paintball, like, you know, layer up. One of the most beautiful things that happened, I probably shouldn't confess to this, is we're out there, we're layered up, and the guy's like, you don't really need all that stuff on, you're going to be fine, it's not going to hurt. As we get out there, and the first time that kid got hit, oh, it hurts so bad, it hurts so bad. Meanwhile, we're all layered up, we look like the stuff, what's the guy, the Pillsbury Doughboy, you know, we're just like all, all puffed out, and we were okay. Um, we listened to those who had gone before. This guy didn't. He thought, eh, that's not essential. Listen, you look at Acts, it says they prayed, they needed prayer. And so I look at that and I say, church, if they needed it, we need it too. We need it too. And so today, we're going to look at why. Why is prayer so essential to us? Why did the early church pray? The very first reason that I believe that the early church was a church committed to prayer, and why we today pray is very simply this. Prayer is how we experience our relationship with God. Prayer is how we experience our relationship with God. It is the means through which God, who saved us, God who first made us to be in communion with him, and yet because of our sin became separated from us, God, when he saves us in and through Jesus Christ, as we were talking a little bit ago, as far as bringing us into his family, he made us to have relationship with him. And the way that we get to experience that relationship with him is through prayer. Last week, we gave um, a definition to what prayer is, if you remember it. We said, what, what is prayer? We said, it's speaking to God, knowing that he's listening, and knowing that he will respond. At its most base level, prayer is communicating with God. It's not a one-way street. It's a way in which we communicate with Him. And He ultimately responds to us. We were made to have a personal relationship with God because our God is a personal God. And prayer is the way that we engage in that communication with Him. Do you know one of the primary ways in which the church and members of the church are described in the New Testament as being in relationship with God. This is profound, I think, for us in understanding prayer. You'll, you'll understand why in just a minute. Do you know one of the primary ways that our relationship with Jesus Christ is described in the New Testament? Turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and we'll look at it together. Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 23, it's laid out for us this way. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and blameless without blemish. Friends, the predominant way that our relationship with Christ is described in the New Testament is Christ as the groom, the church as the bride. It is a marriage relationship. In fact, did you know this? If you go down to the very bottom of that section in chapter 3, look at verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. This is... This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Do you know what the author Paul just said there? You know what God just said through Paul to us? Marriage was created in order to help us understand our relationship to God through Jesus Christ. We often think conversely. We often think that our relationship to Jesus Christ is described as a marriage relationship so that we can understand our marriage with one another. No, 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 don't, don't get it. Marriage exists so that you and I can better understand the type of relationship that Christ has with us. And let me ask you a question. Is communication important for a healthy relationship? Let me try that one more time. I'm, I'm, I... I know we're not all counselors here, but I think the answer should be obvious. Is communication important to a healthy relationship? Yes. It's definitely important to a healthy marriage. And so mark that down. If you didn't know it already, communication is essential for a healthy relationship. Years ago, early in my ministry, uh, there was an individual within our church. I had invited the guy out to lunch to see how he was, he was doing. We sat down at the table. I'll never forget it. We were having Chinese food because of what he said to me. It was just so shocking at the time. I was a young pastor. I was probably like 25 at the time. I said, how's it going in, in your you know, marriage, and how are things with your wife? And he looked at me. He says, oh, we don't really communicate much these days. And I'm like, oh, maybe they're having a tiff. Maybe they're just you know, having some struggles. And I said, oh, that, that's too bad. Well, what, what do you mean we don't communicate? He says, we only communicate with Post-it notes. I said, What? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, we don't ever talk to one another. We only write down messages to one another, and we put it up in this one part of the house, and that's how we talk. Healthy relationship, folks? It broke my heart to hear it, but that's not how a relationship should be. There needs to be communication for a relationship to be healthy. Prayer is the means that God has given us to communicate with, with him. The marriage relationship, the, the way that our relationship with God is illustrated through marriage, we learn a lot from our marriage. One of the most common problems experienced by couples who are having trouble in a marriage is a breakdown in communication. My husband never talks to me. My wife doesn't listen to me. The basic communion be between two people involves communication. You want to experience your relationship with God Prayer is the means that he has given. This is how we engage him. And one of the truths that we know is this. Are you ready? God speaks to us through his word, and we speak to him through prayer. God speaks to us through his word. How does God communicate with us? How do we know what he thinks about us? How do we know what he wants from, from us? 2 Timothy 
verses chapter 3, verses 16 through 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God or breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We have God's Word to us. What does God have to say uh, to me today? It's right here. It's one of the reasons why we have a Bible reading plan this year. Maybe you have your own way of doing it, but, but we put out a Bible reading plan this year because we want to hear from God. And we hear from him through his word. There's this powerful passage in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. Literally, Hebrews 1, verse 1 through verse 2. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. We have that in the Old Testament, the words of the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also, oh, by the way, created the world. We have the words of Jesus here. The author of Hebrews says, God has spoken. We speak to God through prayer. We communicate with him. He speaks to us through his word. As we engage the word of God, as we listen to God, and as we pray, guess what is happening? You're experiencing the relationship that you were made to have. You want to kill any relationship in your life right now? Just do two things. Anybody you don't like? No, don't, don't answer that question. Stop talking to them and stop listening to them. That's how you kill a relationship. Do you remember how he said last week, prayer is a privilege. Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, tore down the dividing wall by his blood to bring you into the throne room of God. You have access to God at any given moment of the day. All you got to do is speak to him. You have access to hear from God who created heaven and earth at any given moment just by reading his word. You want to develop, cultivate that relationship with God? Prayer is the means that God's given. Why did the early church pray as they did? They prayed because they knew that they had been brought into relationship with God and they knew that as they engaged in communication with him, as they prayed, they were cultivating that relationship. You see, God's nearness, love, and care are revealed to us as we pray. God's nearness, love, and care are revealed to us as we pray. As we pray and make our requests known to God, he says the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You want to know his nearness? You lift up your voice in prayer, and you, because you know he's spoken to you through his word, says, I'm not far off. I am right here with you. You want to know he's going to provide for you? As you go and make your needs known to him, you see how he responds. Sometimes he answers yes. Sometimes he answers no. Sometimes he answers you need to wait. But he always responds. Church, why are we talking about prayer? Why do we need prayer? Because it's through prayer that you will get to experience your relationship with God. You know, when the kids were younger, there would be these moments in the middle of the night where we'd hear this. Mom! Dad! You'd be 
woken up all of a sudden. The more scary one is when they would just walk into your room, you know, and they just stand there in the doorway, and there's a silhouette. I've talked about that in the past. That's freaky. I, that's the one I, I, you know, or they're standing right next to your bed. Jeez. But, but when they call out to you, mom, dad, and they're in their bed, what's a child doing? They just want to know you're what? You're there. And if you're a loving parent, <laughs> you will respond to them. When we call out to God, sometimes that's what we need to do. We just need to say, Father, and he always hears us. You want to know his nearness? You want to know his love? You want to know the relationship you have with him? Prayer is the means he's given. But there's two other things. The, the second one is that prayer is how you grow spiritually. Prayer is how you grow spiritually. We said earlier that spiritual growth is knowing more of Jesus and looking more like Jesus a year from now than we do today. Have you ever noticed how some couples, as they get older, look more and more alike? <laughs> have, have you know this? Um, they're no longer with us. I can mention them uh, here. There is a dear, sweet couple in our church, Clarence and Edith Mays. I don't know if any of you remember Clarence and Edith. They were just the sweetest couple. They, they liked to take Hannah and I to the hometown buffet. It was awesome. We, we loved it. Except when my dad told me that one time he went to hometown buffet and he saw a kid get some ketchup, um, put it on his hot dog, lick the spoon, and then put it back in the thing. Yeah. So... <laughs> After that, not a big fan of Hometown Buffet. <laughs> but Clarence and Edith Mays were, were married um, almost 60 years. I think it was actually 60 years. And, and this cute couple, they just, they, it was, they, they just like resembled each other. They, they could like finish each other's thoughts because they had spent so much time in what? Relationship. If we want to grow spiritually, then we got to be around the one that we want to know. And, and prayer is the mean that, that God uses to grow us. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's what God's looking for, to conform us to the image of his Son. And so when we spend time in the Word and when we spend time in prayer, we grow to reflect more of the God who has come to save us through Jesus Christ. And there are, I think, three things that just came to my mind right away that you will see yourself growing spiritually through prayer. Number one, through prayer we grow in humility. Through prayer we grow in humility. First Peter tells us, we studied this this summer, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. How do we humble ourselves? He tells us, casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Talk to him about your anxieties. You want to become humble? You want to grow in humility? You want to demonstrate that, that you understand the humility of Jesus? You come and you bring your needs before him, your anxieties before him in prayer. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Prayer is one of the ways that we express to God that we understand that he is powerful and we are powerless. And the more we hold on to things, the more we try and fix things on our own, we are thwarting our growth in humility. Instead, when we pray, when we make our needs known to God, when we cast our cares before Him, what's happening in you is you're cultivating a spirit which says, 
I'm not in control, but God, you are. You are. You know, most people that I talk to, including myself, yes, I have conversations with myself. Most of us don't think we're proud. Most of us think we're relatively humble people. One of the great litmus tests of our humility and our growth in that is, do we pray? Do we give things over to God, or is that simply an afterthought for us? You want to grow to look more like Jesus? Even Jesus in the garden, in his humanity, came to the Father and said, not my will, but yours be done. But you know what he said before he said that? Lord, if there be any way for this cup to pass from me. Does that sound like a petition? Does that sound like a request? Even Christ asked of the Father. But then he said, but not my will, but yours be done. We grow in humility through, through prayer. We also grow in trust. Through prayer we grow in trust. As we cast our needs before him, what we're doing is we're saying, I can't control this, but I trust you to do it. To let God show himself be faithful. When Jesus was talking on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 7 through 8, he said, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Do you believe that? <laughs> do you believe that God knows what you need and he will provide it for you, that requires trust, doesn't it? Prayer is a way that we grow in trust. As we give things over to him, we're saying not only are we not in control, but I trust you. Many of you have been in the situation where you're in the pool. I've, I've used this before, but I'm going to talk about it in a different way. Where you're in the pool, and your child comes up to the edge of the pool, and you say, come on, jump in. And the child is looking at you and looking at the water, and they think, I go in that water, I'm a dead man, right? I'm drowning. Yet you as a parent are standing there at the edge saying, I'm not going to let, what? No, come on, jump in. I'm not, the reason a child won't jump in is because they're afraid of drowning. But more than that, what are they actually saying? I don't what? Trust you. Next time you look at your child and say, how dare you? No, don't say that, okay? <laughs> But what's happening? You're there, and the child is standing there and saying, I, I, I can't do it. In their heart, it's not just simply that they're afraid. In their heart, they're saying, I don't trust you. Tell me, parent. You, how, how many of, of you have not taken care of a child in that situation? You're like, no, watch this. They're going to jump in. I'm going to let them drown. No parent does that. You've done nothing in your life to make your child think that you would actually cause them that kind of harm. And yet, for some reason, their natural bent is to not trust. Do we ever grow out of that, folks? <laughs> Just look at our relationship with God. Why are we holding on to things? Why are we not casting our cares upon him? Why are we, as Jesus said, anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink? Does not your father provide for the lily of the fields, the birds of the air? How much more is he going to provide for you every time we engage in prayer? The beautiful thing that God does is... He helps us to grow in our trust. And it's an expression of our trust in, in him. Have you ever noticed that God does not always answer our prayers right away, 
or even the way that we want. Because prayer isn't just simply a means of helping us grow in trust. It's also a means of helping us grow in perseverance. Perseverance. There are many prayers, and some that I've been praying over this last year, that I'm wondering, God, why haven't you just answered that? Have you ever wondered, why aren't you just answering it already? I know that you can't. One of the things that God's Word tells us is that through our prayers, we grow in perseverance. It's not the maybe favorite thing to grow in, but perseverance is the means by which we begin to see and experience that no matter what happens to us, God is faithful to sustain. I want you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 5 here for a second. Because I want you to, do you know the, the passage about the put on the whole armor of God? I don't have the opportunity to go through it all this morning. But in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul comes, I'm sorry, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul comes and he talks about, finally be strong in the Lord. This is verse 10. And in the strength of his might. Be strong, but not in your own strength. Be strong in his strength. What perseverance is, is a strength that comes not from us, but comes ultimately from him. And then he says, well, here's how you do it. He talks about putting on the the full armor of God. But look all the way down at verse 17. He says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. There are all these things that we're to do and putting on the full armor of God. But at the very end of it, he says, here's the key. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Prayer is what grows our perseverance, which increases our strength, not in ourselves, but in the God who has saved us. So prayer is how we experience our relationship with God. Prayer is how God grows us spiritually. But then this is the the third and final thing for us to consider. I think this is one of the most important reasons why the early church was a praying church and why we as a church and individuals need to embrace the gift of prayer And that is this, prayer is how God brings things to pass. Through prayer, we experience relationship with him. Through prayer, God grows us spiritually to look more like Jesus. But then through prayer, God is, prayer is the means that God brings things to pass. I want you to buckle in for a fire hose of scripture. Are you ready? I mean, seriously, here we go. Listen to these scriptures. They're going to be up on the board. We're going to see if Joa can keep up in, in the sound booth. Philippians 1.19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Colossians 4, 2 through 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also... For us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Luke 21, 36. But stay awake at all times, praying that you might have strength to escape all of these things that are going to take place and stand firm. Stand firm before the Son of Man. Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Matthew 9, 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, what? 
pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. James 5, 13 through 16, I'm going to read all of this. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed a sin, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Over and over and over, we see this continued theme in the scriptures that we are called to pray because prayer is how God brings things to pass. Another way of saying it would be this, because of prayer, things happen. Jesus told his disciples, watch and pray so that you wouldn't fall into temptation. Paul says, pray for me that this thing might happen. They're saying that because they believe that through prayer, things happen. Now, some might be hearing me and thinking, Dave, it sounds as though you are saying that because we pray, certain things happen. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Because that's what the scriptures say. They all say the same thing. Pray. Pray, pray. But now, no sooner do I say this than some of you are thinking another thought. But what about God's sovereignty? What about God's omniscience? Doesn't God already know what's going to happen? And hasn't he already ordained it? Yes. Yes, he has. But Dave, you just said that when we pray, things happen. Yes, yes, I did. So some of you are thinking right now, which one is it? Both. It's both. It might sound illogical to us that God is sovereign and in control of all things and has already ordained everything that is to pass. In fact, just to solidify that point, Isaiah 46, verse 9. Remember the former things of old? For I am the Lord, and there is no other. I am God, there's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from the ancient time, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all of my purposes. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of a counsel from a far country, I have spoken, and, it will, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. So which is it? How do we reconcile the fact that God calls upon us to pray so that we might see certain things happen, and yet we already know, as the rest of scriptures teach, that God is in control and actually has ordained? Are these two things contradictory? Well, the Bible at times does present two things as being true that to us can seem contradictory. Over and over again, take for instance this, the Bible states that no person can be saved unless God gives him the gift or gives her the gift of faith to believe. God's word says very clearly, pick Ephesians, pick Romans, pick Colossians, that God 
chooses those that he will save. And yet Paul comes in Romans and he also says this. How can they believe unless you go and do what? Tell them. Here's the deal. At the end of the day, just because we do not understand something does not mean it's not true. Just because we can't reconcile two things in our mind doesn't mean it's not true. So what do we do when we're confronted with this, which we can't make sense of? Because I want to believe in my heart and mind these words, that when we pray, that's what God does to bring things to pass. But then on the other hand, I'm thinking, he's sovereign, he's already ordained. What's it really ultimately going to matter? Well, here's where we come and we have to say, can we believe the word of God which says this? And this is found in Isaiah 55. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Can you live in that reality? Can you live in a reality where two things might seem to contradict, two things might seem to not fit together, and yet God says, nope, they fit, they work. Because my thoughts are not your thought, my ways are not your ways. To believe that and to rest in that, to not push against that or to forsake what God says as being untrue is an act of humility. There's a mystery there. And you know what happens, though, when we as Christians throw around the idea of mystery? Cop out, right? You're like, J- you don't understand. You guys, you Christians always throw things to mystery. The truth is this. Every single day of your life and my life, we're continually doing things and engaging in things that we can't fully explain or understand, but we believe to be true. I know this in my own life. I know enough about technology to be a little bit dangerous. And I know people in my life, like, let's just say, who are growing in their understanding of technology. And they will sometimes call me up, and they will say things like, such and such happened. I don't know what took place. Can you help me? Now, they've been using that technology, just believing that it's going to work. And so I walk them through something. I say, okay, I need you to do this, I need you to do this. And you know what? As I'm telling them what to do, they have no idea what they're doing or why, but they do it. And then they come out at the end of the day and they said, it worked. I'm like, yes, amazing. It, it did. They took those things on faith. You have things that you use in your life every single day, and they work for you, and you have no idea how they work, and if they broke, you couldn't fix it, and yet you still use it. So you know what? I don't understand how that thing works. That, that cell phone, this, this iPad right here, you know what? Because I don't understand it. I don't understand the, the nature of it. I'm just not going to use it. Forget about it. Do we do that with things? So can you come to prayer and you can say, God, you say that prayer brings things to pass. I understand you to also be sovereign over all things. I don't quite understand how that fits together, how my prayers work with your plan. But guess what? I'm going to do it. Because I know that your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. A number of years ago, scientists discovered something that they had been trying to figure out for years. That light is both particles and waves. Did you know that? I don't understand that at all. Particles and waves. How can it be particles and how can it be waves? Yet I use light every day, don't you? (laughs) Nope, not going to. It seems contradictory but it fits together. Can we give to God 
the fact that maybe, just maybe, he sees and understands things a little bit better than we do. You see, prayer is how God brings things to pass. In your notes, I wrote this. This answers the question, why pray if God is sovereign and knows what's going to happen? Because the answer is, prayer is how God brings things to pass. I can't fully comprehend it, but I know that's part of his plan, and I know that's how he works. And so what do you desire to see bring to pass? We know that God hears us. We know that he's listening. We know that he calls us. You know, there's one final reason why we should pray, and I didn't even bring it up because I don't even think it's, it should be where we should start. Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church and said, pray without ceasing, and that was a command. <laughs> what I gave you today is what God gives you. God gives us more than a command to pray. He says, you want to know me in relationship? Pray. You want to see things come to pass? Pray. You want to grow spiritually? Pray. And so here's my encouragement to us. Let us as a church, as a people of God, pray eagerly, expecting to see what God will do in and through us. It is a gift that he's given. It's a privilege that he's given. And so my hope and prayer, even today, is that for you and for me, we would see our relationship grow deeper We'd see ourselves grow even more spiritually, and we would see God bringing things to pass because we were a church that was committed to pray. So guess what we're going to do right now? Any guesses? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we want to just once again stop and say thank you for this privilege and ability. Me standing up here, even those who are in this room whose Lord, hearts are drawn to you right now is only because, wow, you gave your one and only son. The righteous died for the unrighteous to bring us to you. So thank you for this gift. Thank you that, Lord, we can communicate with you and we can know your nearness, we can know your love, we can know your care. Thank you that, that through our prayers, Lord, you can form us and you grow us in trust and humility, Lord. Help us experience the blessing of those things as we would give ourselves to you. And then, Lord, help us with great boldness, not be afraid to ask anything. Not be afraid to pray for one another, to make a request known, because as you say, ask, knock, seek. Because you are a God who uses prayer to bring things to pass. And so, Father, we give this to you. And we pray these things through Christ our Savior. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.